Hey guys, you're listening to the Beyond the Dojo podcast. I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Jeremiah. And this is episode six. Um, and this one, well, this episode does have to be shorter than our previous episodes, even though we have said that multiple times now and it hasn't happened yet. But it does have to happen this time because I have food in the oven. We're Southern. We like to talk. Okay, well, whatever. All right. Um, so today is actually kind of a and a sort of. It's like only really one question, though. Um, <laughs> we had a question from one of our friends up in Ohio, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Um, she actually had a specific question regarding training. So the question was something like, um, what are things that work in our own training and in teaching our students? And she clarified with a couple of different points. So we're going to kind of go over those. Um, so one of the questions that she had was, when do we introduce new stances uh, to our students if we're teaching them? So, Jeremiah, want to tackle this one? Uh, I kind of think we don't approach it uh, stance by stance or technique by technique. But I think what we do is we, we introduce all the information as it comes, either through kata or through class, you know, class workouts. And we just know that a white belt is going to have a white belt stance. And an orange belt's going to have an orange belt stance or whatever, you know, and a black belt should have a black belt stance. It's not the introduction information that's, that's, is important. It's the progression of the technique, the progression of the stance that we emphasize the most. Mm. I do believe we show all three basic stances, uh, front, back, and horse stance in our introductory class. Just about. I think, I mean, I usually will emphasize front stance just because it can get so messed up and that's right. the most used. Um, a lot of times in our intro class, we don't ever get to actually teach like shudoke. Yeah. So I usually don't introduce back stance until like their first class. It just depends on the student and their age and all that kind of stuff. Horse stance is a funny one because sometimes I will think, okay, hey, let's have them do something with their legs while they're learning basic techniques. Sometimes I'll teach horse stance first. So it just depends. Well, I, I guess it's, <laughs> it's it's the nature of the beast too because we run mixed classes. Yeah. So we're dealing with different levels of, of students, and yeah. it's the nature of the beast that they're going to be introduced to different stances almost immediately. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, all within the white belt level, obviously, they're yeah. going to be learning all all three stances. It just the order that they learn. I mean, most of the time, it's going to be front stance first. So it's in Kuzidach, and then yeah. your Kibidach is going to be somewhere in there, right. and then Kukuzidach is somewhere in there. So it's like those are a little bit interchangeable, but almost always front yeah. stance is and, one of the first ones. And, and the ones like the the cat stance and the the yeah. uh, Sanjindachi and Fudodachi and all these other ones, those are introduced as the katas come through. We yeah. don't go out of our way to teach these different stances. They're just learned as we learn the katas. Yeah, actually, um, the first time I ever like say the word cat stance is in Hanyondan, the actual transition from the kosadach into back stance, even though you don't stay in cat stance like at all. But just to explain, so like from the ki point, you turn and mm -hmm. do the back stance there. Um, I use that word so that they have a distinct picture in their mind, so they understand where their feet are supposed to be, even though you're not right. really supposed to be necessarily making that stance. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with the, with the kata progression. And what's interesting about that, too, is um, for a while, I was actually, with my homeschool class, whenever I first started that one going, I was keeping it extremely structured because I wanted to see how it went. If I, wow, that sounds really bad, like withheld information. <laughs> if I, like, I didn't teach um, all the techniques at once, if I instead, like, paced it out and only taught, like, one new technique a week. So the first week in that class we did punching only we didn't do stances we didn't do anything else except for punching 
Yeah, it was a little bit extreme. I was actually going off of one of the class descriptions, though. That are, um, I think it was an eight or twelve week layout in um, the back of one of the best karate series, one of Nakayama's books. Yeah. He actually laid it out on how to do it. So I actually tried to follow that to a T because I wanted to see how it worked with my students. I think it did end up a little bit overkill, but the majority of the students that came out of that class were pretty strong. So yeah, I was gonna say the standard of karate probably was really good, but the retention rate was probably low. Well, it actually made me have to be way more creative because I had to come up with tons of drills to be able to teach oh, the right. same concept, which was fun. But also, like, if it, now teaching so many classes, that would be overwhelming. But I, I would probably do it again. But what I was going to say was I wasn't teaching um, new techniques until they showed up in kata. Yeah. So doing those specific, specific katas is what, or doing a, a movement in a kata generally was whenever, whenever I would introduce something, except that you don't see or outside block for a long time. So you're kind of screwed there. Um, the next question was how, uh, on the same subject, sort of when to introduce a new kata. So when do you go about introducing a new kata to your students? Let's be real. It's right after the belt test, right? When they got their new belt, we usually, you know, it's a fun and happy thing to learn a new kata because they practice the living daylights out of the one they just tested with. Cause we don't allow them to just kind of haphazardly practice it, it, it every class they have at least 10 reps of their kata mm-hmm. generally just throughout the class time or, or drills or whatever so to me uh by every bell test and we usually do one every three or four months depending mm-hmm. on on the, the class structure um and that would depend on your dojo too and how often you're testing it right. by that well, that layout but that layout it applies though because mm-hmm. if you're only testing every six months then they're not really ready for another kata for every six months you know what I mean? Uh, it depends on the student. I'm like we saying. have students that are about to test that are going to be testing well, with two kados. Well, yeah, that's that's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, well, it just depends. But on generally, it. it's it. What I'm saying is generally, every three to four months, the the child could, or the student could basically get a grasp of the kata they're working on, mm-hmm. understand some smaller, finer points, mm-hmm. be able to perform them, and then as it as they tested, we can move them to the next kata. And I think that applies more to hand kata. I mean, well. Yeah, I mean, you you can get some points of the higher level kata. I think it de- I think it depends on if you're a good student and you're able to apply the finer points that you have learned through time with your basic kata to your advanced kata. Because I would think in most cases it would probably take a little bit longer with your more advanced kata. But some of that's going to be organic. Like when you introduce new stuff, for the most part, we go by like you just tested, you learn a new kata, um, and then after it gets to a certain point, you know, if you're not testing as frequently. Like at an advanced well, level, then you would just learn it whenever you're ready for a new. Yeah, well, let's let's say let's say uh, just up to showdown level. Mm-hmm. All right, so advanced students like your 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 don levels, um, you know, we're really relaxed. We don't really have a structure to to encourage them. We just kind of train with them, and mm-hmm. and wherever their curiosity leaves, we kind of help them out or try to coach them up. Mm-hmm. Um, but for like up to showdown level, you know. Again, it's just the nature of the beast. By the time you get to sand Q or third Q, you're, you're not testing every three or four months. You're testing once a year, maybe twice a year if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, so you spend a year on bicep eye or six to eight months on bicep eye. Hate yourself and hate life and hate that kind. Yeah, I mean, you, you got <laughs> it right. Uh, hopefully, if you're committed, you you have a good grasp of it, right? Yeah. So, okay. I mean. That's how I justify it. It's just a general rule or structure. Yeah. I think it will be interesting uh, once we have students that are getting ready for Nidon. We have some students getting ready at Shodan level right now, but for Shodan level right now. But um, when we have students getting ready for Nidon level, 
um, it will be interesting to see how we structure that. It's not really, I don't really, it's kind of uncharted waters. I don't know, man. And, and to me, Neon Level was such a transitional level, transitional test, transitional period of my karate life mm-hmm. where I was, I'd learned a lot, you know, showed on up to showed on. Everything was so structured and formal. Mm-hmm. And then in Neon Level, it was like, for me personally, it was just a, a complete refinement. Like everything had a purpose to okay. my technique. Yeah. So the refinement, it wasn't just the shapes anymore. It's like, how do I get my punch in better? How do I do my kicks better? How do I make them effective? Gotcha. So anyways. Yeah. All right. So then the third part of that question was um, uh, she was interested in any drills that help students develop better hip rotation. So this one, I think, is very dependent on the student because we've used lots of different specific drills. Right. They're hard to explain in a podcast, so you would have to like follow us on social media <laughs> in order to be able to see some of the videos of some of the stuff that we do because we do occasionally put videos up on um, our Facebook and Instagram, uh, Shotokan Karate and Human Performance page. Um, you do see a few drills that we do there, but um, in general, if you can specifically coach a student and be like, you know, you know, I, I try to use specific terminology and don't change it. So if they're wearing a belt, it's the knot of your belt faces forward for showmen, the knot of your belt faces sideways, obviously not completely sideways, but they get the idea if they're in front stance or if they're not wearing a belt, belly button forward, belly button sideways, yeah, and that kind exactly. of stuff. Or in some cases, if we have to physically move students, we'll ask them, hey, can I move you real quick? Right. And we'll physically put them in the position. I will say this, though. The one drill that made me feel like it was pretty like introductory to what we want as hip rotation mm-hmm. is when you wrap the belt, one student wraps their belt around another student and as they're ripping, uh, opening their hips and closing their hips to, they, they would use the belt as kind of like a pulley system and make sure the, the hip was rotating and not right. the shoulders. Oh, it's funny. I did that with that, with that same group I was talking about those homeschoolers. Right. We did the exact same thing. Yeah. And, and to me, when I use that, that drill, they, they understand that they're not turning their shoulders they're turning their hips yeah. and it's a different feeling. So I would say that to me was probably a fundamental drill that I would use a lot when I introduce hip rotation or I emphasize it. And I think it is important to, I mean, you can do it while students are, moving across the floor but if you take the time and do it stationary that makes a big difference because they only have to focus on whatever the technique is and then the actual rotation they don't have to worry about coordinating their feet which that becomes a huge issue sometimes um i I will say though that going to hominy is much easier for most students (laughs) going to showman is the hard part yeah so um yeah so hopefully that helps a little bit Uh, um and then the progression also if you get to down ranking um Mm -hmm. I think a good hip drill is is when you're in kibidachi, you do samanzuki, you do jodan, chudan, chudan. Yeah, and do a smaller and, hip rotation. But they're smaller hip rotations. And, and and honestly, if you do the wrong hip rotation or time it out, if it's out of time or, or excessive, it's so obvious. It's so uncomfortable and, and, and a little bit of painful. So yeah. I think at, that's the progression is like you, you get them to feel the feeling and then you try to make that movement smaller and smaller so you can control it more and more yeah well another thing too is like what i've started doing with our like higher level intermediate students as they're getting ready for brown belt level is um 
they have to not only obviously do their hip rotation and try to learn to use their legs with it, but they have to be able to time it properly with right. their technique, which is something that Ubal Sensei points out a lot. Is like it doesn't make sense for you to rotate your hips and then punch afterwards if you're doing reverse punch because you've already lost the power source of the movement. Right. So either you as a teacher having a good eye watching your students and being able to see um, if those two timelines are not lined up. So the timeline of them doing the technique and then the timeline of them rotating their hips need to be they need to match. Um, or if you're training on your own, you know, if we're going to refer back to the other part of the question, um, you, you know, having someone watch you or filming yourself and slowing Absolutely. it down. And this isn't, I don't feel like I could see that right away. I mean, it took it being pointed out to me a lot before I was able to see and understand that it took a lot of training my eye to be able to see that kind of timing. So, you know, as a teacher, if you can get in the habit of it, Eventually, it becomes second nature, but you know it's a little frustrating at first. I mean, catching the timing of two different parts of someone's movement when you're trying to teach them and you're still kind of trying to get a grasp of it yourself, like it's it's tough stuff. Well, you have to have an eye for detail. Yeah, well, that you know that develops in time. Yeah, and no matter what, if you're in an art, you have to have that eye. You have yeah. to see what you what you want. Um, so yeah. Um, I will I will say this, your own personal training when it comes to like, like you said, videotape yourself or have someone watch you, mm-hmm. have that training partner you trust that and honor their their opinion, mm-hmm. even though you might not like it, at least you know that they'll be honest with you. Yeah. You know, um, and then the video, you can't lie. You can't lie to yourself when you see it. Yeah. The problem is most people will try to act like they don't see it. Yeah. So be honest with yourself, brutally honest with yourself about your karate. Mm-hmm. And generally, that's a good training tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, be your worst critique critic sorry and then i guess the last thing is is always train slow yeah because training hard only emphasizes or re-emphasizes the muscle memory that the muscle patterns you're already doing yeah if you're going to train by yourself it better be for time of learning yeah hard workouts is great with a class gotcha. but it's kind of stupid by yourself okay. you know so I did want to throw in a couple of other things that would maybe help with general teaching stuff. But I mean, well, yeah, basically teaching others to other people. Um, so one big thing is partner corrections. So especially if you have students that tend to um, get like really anxious, not like anxious, like scared, but they just get really all over the place or they're a little bit buzzy and whatever. And they're usually between the ages of nine and 12 years old. Um, sometimes a little bit younger, you can do this. But if you can have them correct each other, even like within their first couple of weeks of being there and not only reinforces the teaching because they are having to essentially repeat what you say Mm -hmm. and learn how to see in other students, but they also will sometimes find themselves saying, (coughs) excuse me, they'll find themselves um, iterating certain concepts in such a way that they understand, even if they use different terminology than what you as a teacher presented it to them as, they'll be like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense to me now. So now they've cemented that more in their brain. So not only gives them something to physically do so they don't run all over you, um, but it also um, it helps them as a student to be able to learn better. But also these kids get competitive and they do not want to be corrected by another student. So they will do so much better. Um, The other student will do so much better whenever they are corrected. I experienced this last week with my homeschool kids. I have a seventh Q homeschool student that's been with me for almost, I guess like a year and a half now or year and nine months now. And then another student that's been with me just over a month, she's a 10th Q and the 10th Q was able to give some really basic corrections to the seventh Q 
Um, but it made the seventh key work harder. So, I mean, it was perfect. Um, you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, well, damn, I had it for two seconds. Sorry, I'm a little long winded. I had to get up to check the timer. Oh my goodness. It's all right. We'll move on. If you remember, we'll come back to it. I, I just completely just drew a blank. I had it right there. And now... <laughs> Normal. All right. So the other thing. What was the question again? We were talking about partner corrections. And it being good for them because they reiterate or they. Oh, what I wanted to add was, you know, when you with teaching and, and maybe some of the concepts of working with that is I would say that really work on your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Really work on how you're creating this picture in your student's mind. Yeah. Try to be as connected to them in their world as you can be. Don't make references to Atari when half these kids don't even know what that is. You know, make sure you're, you're not current, not like hip or cool, but you have to be current. Yeah. And you have to be able to relate your ideas in their world. You got to meet them there. Don't speak your language and expect them to come and understand you. You have to kind of meet them. I think that's, I would say, is probably one of the better teaching tips is, you know, don't be so proud that you can't meet your beginning student at their level. What's an Atari? <laughs> I'm, just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know exactly what it is. No, she doesn't. She's lying. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, Tell me. My other one. It's a little video game with a stick, and you play Pac-Man and all that kind of stuff. That was the original gaming console. Shut up. Okay, well, it was. I had one, like a you know, Whatever. tenth generation one. Um, so another one is adjusting course when students are not getting it. So actually, Jeremiah taught me this. Um, you know, I think we tend to go into a class and we have a plan and we're going to do the plan and we've got all guns blazing and we're like, you're going to learn the thing that I'm learning to you today. And, uh, sometimes it just does not happen. Nope. It just doesn't. I walked into the 10, nine to 12 year old class last Tuesday. Yeah. Wasn't happening. The highest rank in the class. Couldn't remember how to turn in front stance. Could not remember how to turn in front stance. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? It's just dude, sometimes, and it happens in all age ranges You'll just, you'll have a day where it's like everyone has lost their marbles and they just, they aren't getting it. Or you have come up with a really great concept that you are not presenting or teaching in a way that they can understand. Kind of going back to what Jeremiah's point was, um, you got to adjust course. So what we did is I said, all right, stop, everybody move. And we did some, some conditioning stuff. And then we did so just to get them kind of up and going. And then we did some super basic punching, kicking drills and we took a break and then we came back and then caught it. And that was it because it was just, it was too much of it. It happens sometimes. Sometimes you just have to change course. Um, in that case, it was just because they weren't getting it. There have been other times where we've been teaching certain concepts and we're like, okay, I think I understand this well enough to be able to teach it. And then there are times when we, we were very wrong. We could not do that. So we have to just change in the middle of the class. And I think it's important to be able to have enough humility to be able to just change topics. Okay. Um, I think that was, that was pretty much all I was going to say about stuff that works. Did you have anything else to add to that? No. Okay. I'll just give, paint you a little picture here. 
I went to add in the fact that we need to be humble as teachers and admit that when we have a horrible class to just say, hey, it's not working and start anew. Mm -hmm. I went to grab the phone to pull it closer to me and my humble wife pulled the phone away from me and continued to talk and gave me this look <laughs> as if I was some insubordinate <laughs> infidel or something. Are you got to be kidding me. So like I said, we as teachers have to be humble Enough to admit when we're wrong. Yes, dear. Thank you. <laughs> okay. You didn't deny it, so you know I'm speaking the truth. That's actually not what happened at all. That is exactly that what is happened. Totally not what Stop happened. Stop your lying. This is this is like this is like some kind of version of counseling here or something. Jesus. We just need an actual counselor other than the phone. <laughs> it's cheaper than a professional. <laughs> record, record yourselves arguing. That will fix everything. Okay, um, anything else to add to stuff that works? I don't know. Do I? Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully that was a little bit helpful for getting a couple things started. If you have any more questions, you're welcome to drop it in the comments below. We're going to try to get this on some I, other platform I, than I, YouTube. I, may I speak? Oh, sure. Have at it. Awesome. Um, I just want to reiterate the fact that we're not, like, we don't have all the answers. We're not know-it-alls. We're just sharing with what we're doing. And this is what we do, and it's working so far. This is what we do. We just argue while talking into the phone. Well, yeah. I mean, let's be real. Our parents, our children, our students, everybody around us enjoys our banter. Oh, is that what this is? No, it's me digging <laughs> a grave. I'm about to die. These are my last words. Okay. Help me. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to this very short one. Um, remember, you can follow us on – shut up. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Jeremiah, at Shotokan Karate Family Fitness. I am Shotokan KHP or Lauren Hart Athletics. Eventually, we'll get into some of that juicy stuff regarding strength and conditioning stuff. Anyway, if you have any questions, drop them in the comments, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Oh, wait. We don't. Dang it. Dang We're it. I always forget to do this part. All right. What you been working on, girl? Tad gummit, man. I swear. I hope you didn't I hope you didn't stop listening yet. All right. All right. Working on Gion, like I said last time. Yeah. Um, working on the rotation. Um, well, basically the rotations in Gion. So the 90, well, no, it wouldn't be 90. It would be about 270. Yeah. Like yeah, it'd be like 270 degree rotations. Oh, God. Um, it's that, that rotation after the first carriage he had shown on. You know what's so weird about it is like I can do that rotation if I'm going front stance to front stance and not like cross my legs and almost fall over. So like I do it correctly. If I'm going into a back stance, I don't so, know what my problem is. I you like, mean you haven't mastered the, the rotation from the second key in, in hand shodan. That's right. I still have to do the second key <laughs> in hand shodan, right? So basically I'm working on hand shodan and I'm working on the second key in hand shodan. So if you want to learn when to introduce new things to your students, wait until they've trained for 17 years and then teach them the second <laughs> key in hand shodan. Well, You're well, welcome. Let's be real, though. I'm still working on step and punch, so where does that put me? Oh, there you go. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe I'm just um have just some, so I, I just have some ADD over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been working on step and punch still, trying to get the bigger picture to work. Um, extension of the knee and elbow. I want that thing to be flawless. Um, a good friend of ours said that uh, he would always say is he, he would want a reverse punch faster than the sound of uh, – yeah, speed of sound. Oh, Sam. Sam, right? He wants to, yeah, he wants to have a reverse punch that breaks the sound, sound barrier. barrier. Exactly. And and he's dead serious about it, and, and I think it's kind of cool to have a, a goal that's unattainable. Yeah. 
And I think this the perfect step and punch is my unattainable goal. I still want to work on it though. I, I think it is attainable. Yeah. And the other thing I've been working on is um Laura and I both have the opportunity to teach. Uh first weekend in November in Nashville at the WTKO camp. And I've been trying to work on a class that could basically work. I don't want to make a fool of myself. Food's ready. And that's it for tonight. Okay, we're going to stop talking now. You guys have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye.